Congratulations. Thanks, Mom. Yeah, great job, kiddo. Thanks, Grandpa. So, what's your 15-year plan? Oh no, not this again. Do you have a job yet? Give me some time. Every time he comes over, he makes me feel like a kid again. Uh, I don't know. Jobs seem hard. Your estimated wait time is 97 minutes. 97 minutes? Come on! All right, here it is. I pulled the MLS data on this luxurious short self, and it seems to be priced pretty appropriately, according to the CMA, and depending on your DP, you may not even have to pay PMI. Huh? Who's on Parker's desk? I just went. Bro. It's not working. The only choices I have is a lion, wagon, and zebra. Sounds like you're gonna lose. She really is beautiful. Thank you. Got it. Congratulations again. Thank you. You got it from here, okay? All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Honey? Honey? Sir, what's your number? What number? Next. The test results are in. The diagnosis is rheumatoid arthritis. What's a rumored artist? Um, excuse me? Yes? I thought refills on juice were free. Um, I'll go ask my manager. Good. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. Oh my goodness, are you okay? Adulting is hard. Adulting is hard. So I want to start a question that uh, nobody warned me about as I was going into adulthood, and it's this question here. Who are you? Now you're going, wait a minute. Nobody warned you about this. Here's, here's what I mean by that. I was just at a wedding last night, and it happened. It, was, it, it happens everywhere you meet new people. It happens everywhere. If you're at a new job, if you go to a family reunion and you haven't seen these cousins in a while, if you, if you just meet up with the, some friends and they brought along another friend you never met, this happens every time. It doesn't... This question, it doesn't look like this question, but this is the question everybody's asking. It actually comes out usually as, oh, what do you do? Right? You know, you know that question? That's really about who you are. Like, I, I need to know what you do to find out who you are. And so last night I'm talking to this person who looks familiar to me at this wedding, and I'm saying hi, and she goes, remember me, Mr. Martin? I was like, no, you were my teacher. Oh, man, uh, yeah, I remember now. And I said, well, what are, you, what are you doing now? Because that's the default for us, isn't it? Like, what are you doing helps us figure out where we land. So listen, here's what I thought coming out of high school. Here's what I thought about adulthood. I assumed that once I crossed into kind of adult range, that I would figure things out and naturally kind of have this confidence and just know kind of who I was because I wouldn't be chasing something anymore. Because I felt like in high school I was just chasing something. So I get to college and I realize I'm still chasing something. So I thought, you know what, when I finish college and I get a job, I'll, 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 man, I'll be it and I'll know who I am and I'll know kind of what I'm doing and I'll be able to answer at least with a real question. So for a while there, they'd be like, well, so what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a teacher Boy, that, that didn't go over so well in parties, actually, because they were like, what kind of teacher? And I was like, an English teacher. And they, oh, I better watch my grammar. And that, that's really ridiculous, honestly, because I don't speak in, well, grammar. Wait, great, great good grammar? Good, yeah, I, I don't do that. I can sit down and write it, right? But I don't do that. So it, it, all this weird stuff happened. 
But if you asked me the question all through the face of my life, who are you? I would have answered so many different ways. In high school and college, I would have answered, I'm an athlete. I'm a basketball player. I play sports. I play D1 basketball. Even though I don't really play, but I'm there. I have a uniform, right? I, that's, that was my identity. That's who I was. If you walk down the, the sidewalks with me, that, that was my first answer. There are times in my life where I've answered that question, uh, I'm a husband. Yep, I'm a husband this lady. I, I've answered that question, I'm a father. I've answered that question, I'm a son of two awesome parents, right? I, I've had all kinds of answers to this question, who are you? But here's the thing I began to realize. The longer I went into adulthood, the more I realized that those things don't really define who I am so much. They, they tell me who I'm connected to and what I'm doing, but they don't help me really feel confident in who I am because they are all circumstantial. And that's what I want you to just kind of think about today. We often base our identity on things that are circumstantial. And what I mean by circumstantial is they, they come and go. They change throughout time. Guys, I am no longer an athlete. People are like, oh, well, you don't, you don't, you mean you look kind of like an athlete? Guys, I, trust me, I am not an athlete anymore. I don't, I don't have the ability to do what I used to do. I can, I can maybe run down the floor a couple times. I, it just, I'm not an athlete. That was really, you guys, that was hard to deal with in my 30s. Because I could no longer call myself an athlete, something died in me. And you guys can laugh at that if you want to, but it was, it was hard for me to transfer my identity from not being an athlete anymore because it was circumstantial. It depended on how well my body worked around other people when we were all doing the same thing. And trust me, that hurt really bad. For some of you, it may have come along in your job. Like you were set in your job and you were this, right? And then something happened to that business and it tanked. And you know are no longer that. And some of you, some of you were married and then you weren't. And some of you thought, I'm going to be a mom or a dad and then you weren't. And some of you thought, I'm going to be this, and then you didn't get there. And some of you just got a college degree yesterday, graduating from Murray State University, and you think you're going to be this. But statistics tell us that most students won't get a job within their degree right out of college. So what are you? My, my question is, who are you? Because that's a really tough question for us to answer, isn't it? And here's, here's why I want us to answer it. Because Matt did a great job opening up this series, Adulting is Hard, by talking about our pride, and, our, and how much that can hurt us from the inside, and our forgiveness, how much we need to forgive. But listen, it is these things that rattle around inside of our hearts that make it hard to adult well. And so I want to talk about one of these things that's really centered around kind of my own struggles with insecurity. Insecurity is just this. It is a voice inside you that accuses you of not being good enough or that you won't measure up. And let me tell you how this has worked. I, I want to make a disclaimer. I'm not a counselor. I don't have a psychology degree. Here's what I want to tell you. For the last 25 years of my life, I've struggled to figure out how to defeat this voice inside of me in every aspect of my life that makes me feel so insecure. I've had so many different times in my life where I've had to deal with this changing identity and insecurity seems to bring me to a bad place every single time I have to change. And so my identity seems to be changing and moving around. And then this insecurity comes from another side and hits me. And this voice tells me, you're not good enough. You're never going to do that. You're not going to measure up. I just, want, I just want to walk you through why this is so important. Because if, even if you're an adult here today, listen, full-on adults, you deal with this. If you're honest, 
you deal with just a little bit of insecurity about who you are, about what you can accomplish. Let me show you how this, this shows up in my life in different ways. Because my insecurity tends to move around, and it's not something I can just nail down at one place. So let me just talk about a few things I've done to try to solve my insecurity and identity problem. One of these things is I've tried to, to be great at buying the right things at the right time. So for a long time, I thought, man, if I have the right computer or the right piece of technology, then it looks like I know what I'm doing. And if it looks like I know what I'm doing and I kind of know things that people don't know about technology, guys, I was the teacher in, in, the, in the building that maybe it was because I young, but I think it was because I put myself out as if I knew everything about the computer. And teachers would come to me and be like, can you help me with my printer? And man, it felt so good to know things that people didn't know. Hey, can you come make sure it fixed this? Because I couldn't fix that. Hey, can you help me set up my teacher website? Can you? And I wanted to do that. I would work so hard on the weekends and stuff to learn new technology. And man, I just, I just thought I was so cool knowing all this stuff. And it built up this insecurity in me. Because when I was no longer able to afford the next cool phone or the next cool computer, I got behind. And I had a little bit of problem. And some of you are like, why? why gosh, you're so shallow. I know. I get it. I've also thought that the clothes I wear or the shoes I buy made me who I was. And so I'd work really hard at making sure I had on the right stuff in college and I wore the right brands because that mattered to me. And I thought it said something about who I was. And there's another thing it did to me. I became a workaholic. See, my insecurity drove and said, hey, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And I said, oh, well, there's one thing I can do. I can outwork anybody. And I would work really, really hard. And I made a, guys, I made a lot of mistakes early on. When we started this journey 14, 15 years ago, and I was working full time, I made a lot of mistakes with my time in comparison to what I should have been doing with my wife and my newly born son and what I wanted to prove to everybody that I was able to do. And I worked, 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 and I worked hard, worked hard, but all the time in the back of my head, I looked successful outside because I was accomplishing stuff and being productive, but in the back of my head, all the time, this insecurity thing was saying, if you can't do this, if you can't produce, if you can't do this, you'll never be able to measure up. You'll never be able to make this work. On the flip side, you know what happens too? I got so burnt out doing all of that work, 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 that I went into a laziness mode. And see, I thought that, well... You know what? I can't keep up with all this stuff. Obviously, I'm defeated now. And my insecurity took over and it basically said, you don't need to do anything. You need to back off of everything and you need to pull way back because you're not even good enough to do all of that stuff. Look how bad that's worked out and look how much pressure you put on other people doing that and look how much pressure you put on yourself doing that. You just need to quit doing everything. And I shut down for a while. And my laziness just kind of took over. But to see, it was a laziness kind of undergirded by this insecurity that was just pulling me farther and farther down into like, you're not that, and you're not that, and you're not that. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's some of those things. But for me, this insecurity thing, it is serious business. And I, it's weird because I also have a pride issue. Insecurity and pride seem to go hand in hand. Because I don't want to look bad in front of the people, this pride. But I'm driven by this thing in the back of my head, this voice that keeps telling me you won't be able to do it. And that's why today I think we need to really dive in to figure this out. Because I think the answer to our insecurity is found in a solid identity. An identity that can't be taken away. An identity that can't be eroded. An identity that stays no matter what. It's not circumstantial, but it's real. It's something you can hang on to. It's something you can put the rest of your life on and trust it. 
So I want to walk you through what a guy named Paul wrote. Paul, as you guys may have heard before, was one of the followers of Jesus, but he started out as a persecutor of the church. But Paul, man, he was, he was blessed. And I mean, hashtag blessed. I mean, seriously, like he had it going on. As we're going to look in these verses, Paul had everything that you could want. And yet he still couldn't find his identity. And I want to walk you through some of these verses and show you what Paul says about insecurity and his identity that solved the problem for him. And maybe it will help us this morning to move past this circumstantial evidence and be able to answer the question, who are you? Because who you are is really important to know. You will not be able to make it as an adult if you cannot nail this question. So let's look at verse 4 in Philippians with Paul, what Paul says. He says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And this is where Paul's like, like you're, some of you are like, okay, this sounds like he's being a brag, kind of like braggadocious, like he's getting, he is, right? He's going to let you know. You think you've got a reason to be confident in the flesh? Now, I'm going to explain that in a second. Paul has more reason. Like, you think you've got it good? I have it good. You think you got great things going on? I have greater things going on. I just want you to know, if anybody wants to have confidence in the flesh, now here's the way Paul describes confidence in the flesh. You look at throughout his writings, what he talks about. He means anything that you can produce. Anything that you can produce as a human is your confidence in the flesh. So if you have confidence in what you can accomplish and what you can do and the things that you can pull off, that's your confidence in the flesh. And Paul says, if anybody has any of that, I've got more. I've got way more than that. So let me, just, let me just ask you for a second. I want you to think for a second. What is it that you're so confident in about yourself? What is it that you're confident you can produce? You know what I'm confident in? I'm confident that I can make most people laugh in a conversation. I'm, I, I feel really good about that. In fact, after, if you want to test me, I'll be by the suite. We can talk, and I bet I can make you laugh. It'll be, it'll be, it's one of the things I'm most confident in. Paul says, hey, you confident in that? Confident in who, what you can produce? Oh, okay, great. I have more reason. So Paul's going to throw a trump card on us, and I want to walk you through his trump card because it won't make sense to us culturally, but the people Paul was writing to, it made total sense. So we'll take a look at this verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day. In Jewish culture, that was the it thing, right? You know what this proves about Paul? Since birth, his parents have taken care of that he was going to be, done, be doing things the right way. Even before he knew and could choose, his parents were doing things the right way for him. Right? He was circumcised on the eighth day. The, the law says that male babies should be circumcised on the eighth day and on the eighth day. Right? And Paul's like, that was me. My parents took care of me. They put me right in position to be one of the best. They put me in that preschool. They put me in that certain school. They, they put me right in that opportunity to be this amazing person with this group of friends. Man, they put me right in position to be the best. I was right, I was right in the middle of that. Of the people of Israel, right? So, like, listen, I was circumcised because I'm a part of Israel. Israel is the chosen people of God. They're the chosen nation through which God will bless the entire world, and I'm one of the Israelites. I'm circumcised on the eighth day. I'm one of these special people. I'm in the right culture. I'm in the right nation. I'm in the right group of people. I was born into this wonderful, wonderful situation. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Guys, this is a big, this is a big deal. See, the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin... You guys know about the 12 tribes of Israel? Israel was one of the descendants of Abraham, and he had 12 sons, and Benjamin was the youngest. 
The thing about Benjamin is there was a blessing put on Benjamin by his father that said they would be the leading, these leading warriors and they would be strong. And, and Paul's just pulling on all this ancestral stuff from the Jews and being like, look, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I don't know if you heard, but we got a great blessing from our father Israel. And man, we are the it tribe. Like all the other tribes are cool, but the tribe of Benjamin, I'm from that one. You know where the first king of Israel, which tribe he came from? The tribe of Benjamin. King Saul, the first king of Israel, came out of the tribe of Benjamin. He was called out. So, man, Paul's like, dude, we had the first king, okay? I'm just saying, we have bragging rights. And guess what? Paul's original name was Saul. His Jewish name was Saul. He took the, the Greek name Paul, but his original name was Saul. So he's like, look, I'm even named after the first king. So I don't know if you got any reason to talk or reason to brag, but I know I do. Because I'm this and this and this. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Gosh, I, I don't know about you, but you ever felt like you were like the man of all the men? Maybe I'm just talking to the guys right now. But there's a, there's a point where we all get to, we, we get to feeling so good about ourselves. So much in what we can produce, right? I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. Like there's a lot of Hebrews, but I'm the one. This is... This is huge. And I'll be like, what does this have to do with insecurity? Well, think about this. Paul's putting forth what we all want to have. See, there's some of us in the room that weren't born into anything special. And we have resentment toward the people that were. And we have an insecurity in ourselves because we look at these people who are born into wealth or born into position or born into important families And we look at them and we feel insecure about who we are based on what they were born into. And we have resentment. And that insecurity drives us to put ourselves in comparison to all these other people. Look what they've got and they were born with. And I've had to work for everything. And then on the flip side, for those of us, maybe if you were born into a situation where you feel like you were so blessed in a family of great reputation or wealth, what if you're the guy in that family doesn't grow up to have the smarts that everybody else has had and doesn't want to be the part of the business or the part of the legacy of this or whatever and just wants to go off and do what feel like you've been made to do and it looks so different and you have this insecurity because you don't want to disappoint anybody in this really important family that you're born into but there's lots of insecurity based around where you're born and who you're born to right so look how he keeps on going in regards sorry go back in regards to the law a Pharisee. So he said, I even grew up doing all the right things so much so that I became a Pharisee, somebody who knew the law so well that I could follow it line by line and I could quote it to you and I could tell you how to be a good one. I could tell you exactly how to do exactly what you needed to do to be right with God. Continue on the next verse. As for zeal, persecuting the church, like I'd found my passion I found what, I, what made me feel alive. My zeal was for persecuting the church and, and killing off Christians because I was a Jew and that was not going to happen. They weren't going to bring up some other false god. I wasn't going to allow that to happen. I had a zeal and a purpose. I had something to fight for. I had something to live for. You ever feel like a little insecure that you have a purpose, that you have something to live and fight for, that God even gave you anything? You ever, you ever doubt You have this insecure voice in the back of your head that goes, no, 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 no. Everybody else has a purpose. Everybody else can be used by God, but not you. You can't be used by God. 
Look at you. You don't have any passion. What are you passionate about? You just seem to, you seem to have nothing. And then he ends with this. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Guys, I was living the perfect life. I had everything. If you think you have a reason to brag about anything you've ever accomplished, I've got passion. I've got the right family. I've been born into the right club. I've got the right do-gooder attitude. I've got the right passion and purpose. I have everything that you want. Everything that you're driving for and you're trying to accomplish, you're, you're trying to get to this place that's going to tell you who you are, I had it. I had it all. So what's the problem, Paul? What happened? What happened where, where Paul's going to say, listen, if you have a reason to brag, I got and he brags this out, what, what could possibly come next? What is it that flips his lid? Take a look at this next verse. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, this is odd. This is weird. Whatever was gained to me, all that, all that stuff I was born into, being a, a Hebrew of Hebrews in the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the right day, all, all that stuff that I was born into, and my, my privilege of my birth, I count that as a, as a loss. As a gain to me, but overall as a loss. And all that passion I had and that, that purpose I felt like I had, it was aimed at the wrong thing, so now I, I, I count that as a loss. It, doesn't even, it, didn't even, it didn't even help define who I needed to be. And all the, all the success I had, all the, all the ways that I learned the law and I knew the law and I followed the law, I was faultless and all the way I produced and I did all this work and I made things happen and I did all this really, really good stuff. And I did all that, but that, that was a gain to me, but it was a loss overall. It really didn't make a difference. He says, for the sake of Christ, all of that was a loss. And this is, this is a flip of how we think about our adult lives and what adulting should look like. Because we're all told, coming out of high school and college, find your purpose, find what you were made for, and go win it. And you go do it. And you go figure out who you are. Take some time to figure out what you really want out of life. And nobody tells us that insecurity will follow us the entire time as we search and we try to figure this out. And it seems like to me that we're chasing all these things that Paul had and he says that they were not worth considering. It seems like to me that in order to solve our identity problem, we are trying to say, chase circumstantial evidence to prove that we are somebody. And Paul is, seems to be saying that's not it. So I, just want, I want to just direct you to perhaps a different method, a, a different mode of figuring out who you really are and forgetting past this insecurity. Maybe it's not chasing the right family. Maybe it's not chasing the right wealth. Maybe it's not chasing the right job and the right passion, the right purpose. Maybe there's something more solid than all of that. Maybe it's something you can't even produce. You can't even make happen. Take a look what he says in verse 8. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Continue on. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What? Paul, you're going you're gonna to give up your family heritage? Yep. 
Wait, 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 Paul. You're, you're going to give up being a Hebrew of Hebrews. Yep. You're going to give up being a Pharisee and knowing the law better than anybody else? Yes. Wait, but you had a purpose. You had a reason for living. You had this zeal. You had this, this excitement about doing what you were doing. You're going to give that up? Yes. Paul, you were faultless. You never, you did everything by the law. You had a reason to live. You had all these good things going for you. You're just going to let that go? Yes. Here's the thing. What would it take for you to rethink what your identity really is? Would it take losing a child? Losing a spouse? Losing a job? Because what happens to your identity if you say, I'm this, and then it's gone? based on the circumstances that appear in your life? What happens when you don't have the thing you've been working for? I'll tell you what happens, because it happened to me. The insecurity voice turns up and ramps up, and it will convince you that you aren't anything. Because you have nothing to say that you are when you go to a party and say, what do you do? Because you can say your job title, but you know in your heart that's not really who you are because that job could be gone like the last one and you're afraid to put your identity in anything at all and here's what Paul says all that stuff is garbage the surpassing worth of knowing Christ that's worth gaining it comp compared to Christ all this other stuff is garbage it doesn't tell us anything about who we are it doesn't solidify your identity. Having a great job doesn't make you better. We're all like, we know this. We live in America. We're, we're all equal based on our ability to vote. No, 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 listen. <laughs> listen. You still see the hierarchy, right? Because if you're here in management, you make more money and you're more responsible. And if you're here on the line, listen, you feel like you're not as important. Except, Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute. All that stuff is garbage. You have an identity regardless of where you work, what you do, what your race is, what your color is, what your gender is. That's not what defines you. All that stuff is garbage except for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. So here's the bottom line today. Here's what I want you to, to kind of bring home. And I want you to write into your skull and write it on, write on, on your forehead so people have to read it. Okay? In Christ, your identity is strong, clear, and unchanging. It's the only place you can find a strong, clear, and unchanging identity. You're like, wait, wait a minute. I can just create my own identity. Well, you can. But anything you can create isn't going to be strong. Strong is defined this way. Not based on what you can achieve or create. Because here's what I know about everybody here. And what you can achieve and what you can create will eventually pass away. It will eventually be gone. Anything that you can do in your job, any legacy you believe you'll leave, it will eventually burn up and be gone. People will forget about it. People won't see it. In fact, at work, this is even worse. You think your identity in work is so strong? Listen, just a year after you retire, everything will be different. <laughs> it will be different. You'll see little images of things you put together, but listen, no matter what you produce or create, it's not strong enough to sustain you through everything in your life. It's also not clear enough Clear, let's define clear this way. Clear is based on an action, not a theory. See, 
People are like, well, this is a theoretical Christ, like putting Christ in your identity. That's kind of like a theory thing, like you become a little Christian and he lives in you. I get that. That's all theoretical. No, no, no. It's not theoretical. It's, it's based on an action. See, that's why Jesus actually died. See, this wasn't theory to him. He was willing to put his life on the line. He made a choice and he did an action that made this possible. See, as he, as he died, this action of his death, his choosing to love you more than his own life and his own reputation, he was accused of being a, a, somebody who tried to overthrow the government. He never tried to overthrow the Roman government. But that's what they accused him of. That's how they got him to the cross. He was lied about. His reputation was destroyed. In spite of all that, he went ahead and gave his life up for you so he could show you what a new you could look like. Isn't that amazing? It's very, very clear. This is not theoretical. This is an actual action that we see Jesus take to show you what it can look like. And then it's unchanging. Based on that truth, not on circumstances. This is the one truth that you can hang on to no matter what is happening in your life. The truth of who you are in Christ stays with you despite what job you have. I have a friend, and he, he had a job he just didn't really like. And he was working at a place that he just felt like was beneath him. And for years, for years, he hated it. He came in just with a bad attitude. He would blame his managers. He would blame the people around him for making it hard on him. He, he would blame all kinds of stuff. He, would, he kind of blamed his parents a little bit because they didn't push him in, in his education. He had all this resentment and guilt built up. And then one day he realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe my identity is not in what I do. Maybe it's in Jesus. His whole attitude changed. And he started going to work with a different attitude. A new, it was basically like coming in as a new person. And he was like, okay, I'm going to deal with this situation. Not the way the old me would, but the way the new me can. Because I see that Christ is actually living in me. And if he's living in me, then my worth comes from him. Not from what I do and what from how much money I make. It's what I do. And he changed his workplace and the attitude of the people towards him by the way he responded to them. Listen, I don't know what circumstance you're in, but I know this. An identity in Christ is unchanging. Your value to your heavenly Father is so strong, is so clear, and it's always unchanging. So listen, for some of you, I know you deal with this. Some of you are like, man, this just really isn't me, and I get that. I get that. Some of you may not deal with this identity and security issue. But for some of you in this room, I know this is true. And every day of your life, you are fighting to figure out who you really are. There's only one person that could tell you, and he died for you. So here's what I want to show you. I'm going to have to grab some notes because I can't remember all these. But I want to walk you through some of the things that, that Jesus' disciples wrote about you that are true of you that you need to make sure you realize that are truth. Okay? Can I walk you through? There's one word in here that I want you to kind of, under, to kind of fill this out. Like you are, do you know you're a child of God? Did, did you know that in, in John, John was a disciple of Jesus and he wrote that because of Jesus' death, we have the right to become children of God. 
That because of his death, he cleared away all the things that would keep us from being connected to God as our Heavenly Father. And he cleared that out of the way. Because, you know, his, he's your child. You're his child. Now, now listen, if he calls us his children, all I can think about is me as a dad. I don't know if you had, a, had great parents or not. But I, here's what I know. My children never stop being my children. They, they're, they're just my kids. And yes, sometimes they do stuff that I'm like, what are you doing? But even in the midst of that, I'm going, gosh, he's my kid. She's my kid. These are my children, right? You are God's child. How much must he love you? Do you know you're also blameless? In Romans 8, it said, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if you believed in him as your Savior, like you've had faith in Jesus and you're trying to follow him, that you are considered blameless. He doesn't see you when he looks at you. All that stuff that you feel like is all messed up and junk. You know what he sees? He sees the new you. He sees you the way that Jesus was. He sees the person he knows you are if you'll realize it. He also says you're holy. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't throw that holy word around. Peter wrote, Peter was, one of, Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers, and he said, you're a chosen people. He was writing this church. He said, you guys are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And he was talking to Jews and Greeks at the same time. And that holy nation stuff for a Jew to say to Greeks was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen, he's calling you holy. All holy means is that you are set apart. Like he, he kind of has a special place for you in his heart. See, he keeps you special over here, holy for himself. That's you. It's not theoretical. Jesus died for that. He also calls you close. You ever felt like you weren't close to God? You ever felt like, oh man, I'm just, I feel like I'm so far from God. I, I've walked so far away from him. I've, I've done so many things and so many things in my past are just dragging me down. I'm, I'm just not. You have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. You've been brought close. If you have Christ as your identity, if you believe, listen, you are as close to God as you ever be. Oh, well, I just, I've, yes, you've done some wrong things. You're his child. You're close to him. He pulls you in close. Do you know you're safe? John writes in another part, in one of his, his letters, 1 John 5, he writes, Jesus keeps them safe. The evil one cannot hurt them. He's referring to those who believe in him. You're safe. Man, I've had some unsafe things happen. You don't know how much God was protecting you in the middle of that. You, you are a safe person. You don't have to worry about all these things that other people worry about because you have a heavenly father who's close to you and is keeping you safe. I've referred to this a little bit, but do you know that once you believe in Jesus, you have Jesus as your dinner, you, have, you are a new creation. Paul wrote in another letter, he wrote, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That, old, that person, that voice in the back of your head that keeps telling you you're not valuable and worth, worth anything, that's, that's old. That's old stuff. Wipe that out. You're new. You're totally valuable. My son died for you to show you how to be the new you. Do you know you're free? In Romans, Paul writes, our old self was crucified. We are no longer slaves to sin. We're free from all that stuff. You're like, yeah, but I still sin. No, 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 no. You don't understand. You're free from sin in the way that you get the choice to move on from it. Because you've been forgiven, you don't have to be trapped by it anymore. You're a friend. This is one of my favorite, favorite words to think about. 
Jesus is talking to his disciples near the end of his life, right before he's going to be arrested. He looks and said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. You're a friend of Jesus. I know if you've heard this thrown out, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this thrown out, you're, Jesus is a friend to me. Listen, I'm not talking about in some hunky-dory like everything's blissful way. I'm saying he's your friend. He's going to stick by you. He's not leaving you. And some of you, you treat Jesus like, yeah, he's a great God, but how could he help me? He can help you because he's your friend. He's there. And the last one I want to show you is he says you're complete. And some of you don't feel complete. You don't feel like you're full Listen, he says you are complete. Paul wrote, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Like before Christ, you were kind of just partial. But when you figure out where your identity really is, when you figure out how Jesus is the center of who you are, when you hang your identity and your security on who you are on Jesus, you get made complete. That's, that's the best possible you you can be. So here's, here's what I want you to think about, this next phrase. Your identity is not based on what you do. So next time you're at a party, somebody says, what do you do? You can be like, I don't like that question. Why don't you ask me who I am? I, that would be weird. Don't do that. But you can think about it in your head, right? You can think about it. Because when they ask you, what do you do? You can in your mind go, well, this isn't really who I am, but I'm going to tell them what I do. Because what you do does not define who you are. Because if that's true, every time something changes in your life, you have to change identities. And that is just heck to keep up with. It's awful. So listen, you, you are struggling with this right now, and I get it. Because you're like, how is this going to change me? How is this identity going to change me? It is a process of remembering and bringing in internal. Because here's what you're tempted to do. You know, no, 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 I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better Christian. I just want to be a better Christian. If I could just be a better Christian, I know if I could just follow and do this and I could do this like all the other people I see doing this. And I can, if I could just read my Bible more, if I could just pray. Listen, no, 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 you're, you're missing it. You're missing it. You don't read your Bible to get. You don't come to church to get the title Christian. You don't pray to get the title Christian. You don't do good works in the community to get the title Christian. That's not how it works. You being here didn't make something special happen to you. No, no, no. no. You know why you come here? You come here to remind yourself who you are. And you serve in the community because you remember who you are and who you were before Jesus. And you have to go serve other people because He served you so well. And you give to so many different people in your life, not because you've got to make sure you do it so you won't feel guilty. You do it because you have no choice but to give because the abundance of what you've been given. You are blameless. You are holy. You are a friend of God. You are close. You are safe. I have so much to give. You've got to reorient your brain around this. You, you are not what you do. Now listen, this next phrase I want to show you, this is what you're struggling with because what you do should be informed by who you are. Because who you are should inform what you end up doing tomorrow at work when you have an argument. If you have your identity in Christ, you don't have to deal with insecurity and try to protect your area at work. You can let other people just freely take all your great ideas and use them because you're like, I'm okay. I don't have to be the center of attention at work. I'm who I am, who God made me to be. And I'm okay in this family 
where I'm not the one who makes the most money. I'm okay showing up at a family reunion not feeling like I'm insignificant because I don't have a big, important job. I can go to this family reunion and talk to my family and be loving and giving because my job doesn't define who I am. Christ defines who I am. This is really, really hard stuff. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more from a different angle next week. But listen, here, here's the really the challenging thing for you to do. How do you do this? How do you go from believing you're this old, old person? And how do you cross over into believing that you are this new person that Jesus has made you to be? Here's how you do it. Here's my challenge for you this week. I want you to replace the false belief with the truth of who you are. Here's how it's worked for me. And this has been a long process. But start today. Every time I start to recognize something false that is driving my actions, I go back to one of those verses that reminds me who I really am. And you're like, oh, I've, told, I've heard this all my life in church. You know, you got to memorize verses. Listen, I'm not talking about random memory verse selection from your Sunday school lesson or from a person who told you you ought to memorize this verse. Here's what I'm saying. You find the verses that help battle the things that are going on in your mind throughout the week. For me, <laughs> it's reminding me I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The new, the new has come. I don't have to be old, Jared. I don't have to respond that way. That's not what I am. I don't have to feel bad about that anymore. It's gone, it's over, I am new. And I still make mistakes over and over and over again, but I remind myself that was me not believing in my identity. My identity is secure. I'm a child of God. He is with me. He loves me. I've got to keep going with that. Listen, you find this stuff and you replace this false belief with the truth. And some of you here for the first time are just hearing like this new kind of idea about what an identity in Christ looks like. Here's the simplest way I can explain it for you. If you've never seen this before, here's the simplest way. Listen, Jesus didn't die just to be like a rebel. Jesus died for a purpose. And his real death and his real resurrection gave you the chance to live a new and different life. So by identifying yourself with him, what you are saying is, I'm going to live the life he died for. He left it for me to live. Paul said it this way in another part of Galatians, in a letter of Galatians. He said, I am crucified with Christ. My old self was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live... But Christ lives in me. And the power that I live by is by that knowledge alone. That's how I continue on living, free from these other things, because I know it's his life in me. So here's what I want to do. I want to close. I want to pray for us. And if you have a decision to make, listen, the people at the suite would love to talk to you. If this is really rattling around, insecurity is bothering you, maybe we can help point you to some counseling. Maybe we can help point you somewhere, but do not delay. Do not let a major life crisis have to point you away from your identity and what you're building. Because Paul says all that stuff is garbage. There's only one thing worth chasing. It's knowing Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus as a friend, for Jesus as our Savior, literally saving us from destroying our own lives by chasing these things that are garbage and trying to make ourselves into something rather than depending on you, who has already made us something worthwhile and valuable. So God, help us to remember this week. 
to depend on an identity here with you, not somewhere else that we have to earn. God, you never asked us to earn an identity. You just asked us to trust you. Trust in what you've done for us already. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.